Welcome to Every Moment His. This sermon was preached from the pulpit at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska, and we pray that you are blessed by the preaching of God's Word. Grace, mercy, and peace to each and every one of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, During this season of Lent, we're going to be taking a look at the Epistle of James, a short little five-chapter book. And for all these sermons, it'd be a really good idea for you to have a Bible open. So go ahead and open up to James chapter 1, either in your Bible or a pew Bible. Uh, That's going to be on page 1011 uh, in our pew Bibles. And uh, this evening, my goal, I really have two goals with this sermon. The first goal uh, is to help you understand what James is trying to do in this letter, what his purpose is, what he's up to. And then I want to take that and apply it to two specific verses near the end of this first chapter. Now, to start, let me say this. If I were on a deserted island and I could only take one book of the Bible with me, it would not be James. All right? If you've ever read James... Well, let's just talk about it a little bit. It's a great book, but here's why. Uh, As good of a book as James is, James does not focus much on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, namely that Jesus is the Son of God who offered up his life on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead for our salvation. It's just not really James's focus. He sort of assumes that you know these things, right? And so this is why if I had to choose uh, to take one book with me, if I only got one, to take with me to a deserted island for the rest of my life, it would either be one of the four Gospels or it would be Paul's letter to the Romans. Why is that? Well, it's because these portions of Scripture are foundational to our faith. They focus on who Jesus is and what He's done for us as the Lamb of God. It's the kind of things that we confess in our creeds, like the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. But James, on the other hand, is focusing more on what it means to live a consistent, authentic Christian life. In fact, some scholars have noted that James is sort of like New Testament wisdom literature. So it's like the Proverbs, but in the New Testament. And so we need to take what James is saying alongside more foundational books like the Gospels and Paul's letters. Of course, all Scripture is breathed out by God, but yet we want to focus primarily on those that hold forth Christ for us. And yet... What James has to say to us in this letter is incredibly important. And here's what I think that James is up to in this letter. He's challenging the church to take its confession of faith seriously. He's calling us out when we say what we believe doesn't really match up with the way that we live our lives on a day-to-day basis. James is trying to guard us from having a faith that's really just all talk, a faith that in the end is just hot air. And so if you read James from this perspective, it will begin to make sense what he's up to. And it will also challenge you, and it will convict you, and it will lead you to repentance. This is why we chose to preach through James during the Lenten season, because this letter is a good diagnostic inspection on how genuine our faith is, where it's lacking, 
and where it needs renewal. And so with that in mind, I want to focus on two verses from chapter 1. And these verses were not part of our reading. I, we can't read the whole first chapter of James. I suppose we could, but for the sake of time. Uh, so in verses 26 and 27, this is what James says at the end of the chapter. He says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So do you see what James is doing here? He's saying that there is a type of religion that looks good, sounds good, but it's empty. It's all talk. It's just hot air. Now, this is a consistent theme in James because James knows that when it comes to faith, talk is often cheap. He wants us who have been saved by Jesus to talk less about what we think we might know about God, and instead he wants us to be quiet and listen more carefully to the Word of God. And not only listen to the Word of God, but also to be doers of the Word, as he says in the first chapter. And if we close our mouths, and if we humble our hearts, and if we listen to God's Word, what will we hear? What will we be called to do? Listen again to verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. If we stopped and listened to God's Word, we would hear this, that God really, really cares about weak and vulnerable people, or as James says, orphans and widows. You see, the ancient world did not have any social security or Medicare or Medicaid or life insurance or really any other kind of safety net for vulnerable people. And nobody was more weak and vulnerable in the ancient world than widows and orphans. So James tells us that the real religion that God accepts as pure and holy is the kind that goes and visits orphans and widows in their affliction and that keeps itself unstained from the world. Now, what does this mean? And how in the world is visiting orphans and widows and keeping yourself unstained from the world connected? What do those two things have to do with each other? Well, for one, the word visiting carries the idea of a relationship, going to be with somebody in their space, in their affliction, in a personal, compassionate way. But not just that, not just visiting. But also visiting has the idea of going and doing something about the suffering of the person you're visiting. For example, in Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus speaks the, these words to the sheep. He says to them on the last day, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. The same exact word that James uses, I was in prison and you came to me. Now, what does all of this have to do with keeping yourself unstained from the world? Is James saying, God loves it when you visit orphans and widows and when you avoid watching Game of Thrones, 
and other kinds of worldly things. Well, maybe. I mean, it's not a good idea to pollute your imagination with stuff like that. Here's what I think he means, and it's actually connected to visiting orphans and widows. So often in the New Testament, the world refers to this, to going after riches and pleasures at the expense of God and others. So listen to what John says in his first letter. There it is. John says this, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. When John says that phrase, the pride of life, in verse 16, what he's really talking about is boasting in goods or possessions or our livelihood, our riches. And so even though orphans and widows are important to God, you won't really care about orphans and widows if your main focus in life is how to be rich, comfortable, and successful. And so regardless of what you might say you believe, having such a worldly focus makes your religion just a bunch of empty talk. Now I want you to see this. Care for orphans and widows isn't just some random thing that James is saying that we should all care about. It's not just an isolated verse. It's actually at the heart of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. In other words, our motivation for caring for orphans and widows comes from the very character of God himself and from his gospel. So James tells us that true and pure religion consists in visiting orphans and widows in their distress. And so I want to talk a little bit more about that word visit because it's a wonderful Bible word. If you search out that word visit, you'll see that this same word is often used in the Old Testament to refer to God visiting his people in their distress. And what it means is that God shows up into our suffering and he does something. He acts save, redeem, and heal. So, for example, in the book of Exodus, God visits His people who are living as slaves in Egypt. And His visitation means that He also comes to save them from their slavery and bring them into the new land. And so, when God visits His people, it means He shows up to save them in a personal way. All of this comes to a head in the New Testament with the coming of Jesus Christ into the flesh. I mean, you can't get more personal, more of a visitation, right, from God than the incarnation, God in the flesh. And so in Luke 1, right after the birth of his son, John the Baptist, Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And this, of course, is looking forward to the birth of Christ, who visited us to save us, redeem us, and heal us. You see, when it, when it comes to your salvation, your forgiveness, and your great need, God is not all talk. He's all action. He really acts. He really intervenes on your behalf in a costly, personal way. In Christ, in His cross, in His grace and mercy for you. You see, the gospel is not hot air. It's God's action for you. It is the blood, the sweat, 
and the tears of your Savior that bought your salvation and gave you new birth. And this is what motivates you and me to care for orphans and widows or any vulnerable people. We show care for those who are weak, vulnerable, and in need because this is exactly what God has done for us in Christ and continues to do on a daily basis. And so what does this mean for us as a congregation? Well, before we get there, let me tell you two quick stories, one about my previous congregation in Connecticut and another about this congregation. I think that stories like these are helpful for us to imagine what care for orphans and widows might look like for us. When I served at uh, Our Savior Lutheran in South Windsor, Connecticut, we would often have all the kids come up to the front for our children's message, or rather for baptisms. So instead of doing children's messages, we just had the kids come up for the baptisms, which is always kind of fun and chaotic. And if the pastor's generous with water, you might get wet. So um, it was a lot of fun. And our congregation was a lot smaller than Holy Cross. We had about 180 on a Sunday. And so it was easy with the amount of kids we had to fit them all up at the front. Now, those kids at the front of the church were always, for me, a picture of the gospel, a picture of God's grace. Many of those kids were born, baptized, and raised in our congregation, but a good number of these children were adopted, some of them from other countries and some from here in the States. And so in a small congregation of about 180 people, we had about 10 to 12 kids who were adopted. And so enough that we noticed it was part of our culture. In fact, they would have been about a quarter of our Sunday school kids. And this wasn't random. Our senior pastor and his wife had taken James 1, 26 through 27 very seriously. They had three biological children, but then moved by the gospel, moved by the compassion and the grace of Jesus Christ, they went on over time to adopt three more children. Our senior pastor preached a sermon series on caring for widows and orphans, and members of the congregation were moved to follow and adopt as well. Now, not everybody in the congregation was called to adopt, but the congregation gave its support its prayers, its love, its financial support. They came alongside these families and welcomed these children into the congregation. Recently, I've been speaking with Compass. A lot of you are familiar with Compass on 11th, a wonderful organization with foster and adoption services. In my conversation with them recently, um, I learned that here in Buffalo County, there are 103 children in the foster care system. And there are 127 in Hall County. And there are 4,163 in the state of Nebraska. And I've been told recently that some children who should be removed from a home situation are not due to a lack of homes open to foster care. I can't help but think that our congregation as it grows, gospel-centered disciples of Jesus Christ can do something to bring those numbers down. We can't do everything, but I'm pretty sure we could do something. For some of you, and, and for some of you I've had conversations with you about this, it might be that God's been tugging on your heart already 
that you've thought about adoption or foster care or respite care or just starting the conversation or doing the training. For some of you, maybe this is not your calling, or at least not right now. Maybe you're in the thick of raising small children, which can be exhausting. Or maybe your other vocations and your other service in society makes this difficult. But perhaps some of you have time to give a ride or help a parent prepare for a job interview or support other families with clothing or school supplies. There's so many different ways that we could assist and help. Our God who loves the weak, the widow, the orphan, He is always ahead of us. He's already prepared good works for each of us to walk in. You know, we don't really have to look hard for the works that God has given us to do because they're right there in front of us. In fact, we're always just invited to participate in what God is already doing. But we want to have eyes to look for it. And so what I'm asking of you to do with me during this season of Lent is to pray earnestly, to ask God, what are the opportunities in front of us here in Kearney? How might we as a congregation see and respond to the needs right in front of us? And then trusting God's direction, well, let's see what happens. Um, and maybe write this down because how many times do we say, I'll pray for you, and maybe we forget. Um, but in earnest, let's pray for this. I've included this in our prayers each Wednesday um, so we don't forget. One more story. Uh, some of you may know this and others may not, but we have a group of Holy Cross disciples who once a month go over to a local nursing home, and uh, they sing hymns with the residents, they share God's Word, and they pray with them. And I can tell you from having been there that the residents, they long for this. And for some of those residents, these are the only people who make an intentional effort to visit them in their distress and in their loneliness. We have another group of disciples here at Holy Cross who have organized coffee and devotions with the residents at a nearby assisted living community. And many of those who attend this coffee and devotion event once a month are widows and widowers, or they're people who really long for community, but they can't access it because they can't drive anymore, or their families live far away. And what these disciples did is they saw a need in our community, and they did something. They responded with the love and the compassion of Christ. The Carnic community is a very young community. However, it's also a community where people move for the later years of their lives. And this means that we have a lot of people in Kearney living in nursing homes or assisted living communities. And many of these people are afflicted and they're lonely and they're longing for spiritual community. And so once again, we have a need in front of us. How might we continue to respond? Our congregation is a very generous congregation. I know that we are the type of church that sees a need and we are willing to meet the need. In fact, we are a congregation where if the need is presented, people line up with their checkbooks. It's always been humbling to me uh, how generous we are as a congregation. And while this is good, while this is beautiful, I also want us to think more about that word visit. 
When James talks about visiting, he's going beyond financial support, and he's talking about a face-to-face -face human relationship, not only helping with resources, which is good and essential, but also walking alongside people in relationship. When it comes to our local mission and outreach efforts, this is an area where I think that we can grow. In fact, as we had a recent town hall meeting here at Holy Cross, this is something that came up, is we need to focus more on local mission. I agree. Giving food and financial support is good. But what's even better is when we do such things in relationship with people. You see, God so loved the world that He didn't just send us a care package or write us a check. He came and He visited us in the person of Christ. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And so, people of God, since God has visited you in Christ, since God has come and loved you in your affliction and continues to love you, how might God be calling us as a congregation to see and to respond to needs in our community, to visit the orphan and the widow? Who are the orphans and the widows, the weak and the vulnerable in our community? We cannot do everything. In fact, as a congregation, it would not be wise to try to do everything. It's better to be focused on just a few things. But by God's grace, we can coordinate as a congregation to do something. And I'm not sure exactly what the something is, but would you please pray with me this Lent that God would stir our hearts? Would you please pray with me that God would bring about something in this congregation that we could never have done in our own wisdom or strength? Would you pray with me that we would, as a congregation, together see the need in front of us, agree on that need, and then that God would lead us to act. May God grant it for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope it was useful for you. If you found this particularly useful, you can share this episode with friends or family. You can also subscribe to our podcast and whatever platform you're using or give us a review that really helps other people find our podcast. This is also a teaching ministry of Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska. And so if you do not have a church, we would love to welcome you into our community to build you up and to share the joy of salvation with you and the rest of the members here at Holy Cross.